Hour two of the Blitz starting right now, 1340 AM, 105.7 FM. Live in your Fan Run Radio app, free wherever you get your apps. Live on the Fan Run Radio web browser. And if you want to watch along with that video feed, you can find it on the Fox Sports Knoxville Twitter. We still got Matthew on the line. I know we made him wait a little while. Yep, we got him. All right, cool. We'll head over to the Big Orange Philly phone lines to start hour two. And we'll head now to Matthew. Matthew. Hey, Charlie. Hey, 195 days till football. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. This is my favorite time of the year where everybody's attention is now on our uh, college basketball. We've got NBA finals right around the corner. This is going to be fun. I'm Unfortunately, Charlie, I'm, I'm basketball than football. That's okay. You can have a different opinion, but that's kind of where I've always been. I'm basketball when it's basketball season and football when it's football season and baseball when it's baseball season. Just whatever season it is is typically what I think my favorite sport is. And then a new season starts and I go, wait, maybe this is my favorite sport. And I just I couldn't tell you which one I prefer, honestly. Mm. The one thing I, I wanted to add from earlier is I don't know what your go-to uh, for the Super Bowl, like your your your, your plate looks like, but uh, I'm a I'm the guy that gets the Costco style plates that you hand out at Thanksgiving that you you know the large plates, and you put multiple appetizers, and that is my like go to. So you'll have like buffalo chicken dip, you'll have your mini cheeseburger sliders, you'll have your little mini uh, what are those called the little sausage wieners that you put in the crock pot. You got some of those on there. And then, of course, you got to have some wings, and that's my go-to. Wings are important. I think uh, I think a big, uh, a nice dip is always, a, a, yeah, pretty crucial too. Like we we had Rotel, like queso dip last night, very solid. Uh, buffalo chicken dip. I'm not a buffalo sauce kind of guy. I, I don't like buffalo mm-hmm. sauce personally, but I know most people do. I'd say that's a pretty pretty crucial thing to have as well. Some sort of buffalo chicken type thing yeah um whatever you like at the end of the day it's all about just a good portion of it i mean it doesn't matter if you're doing you know buffalo chicken dip or rotel dip you just got to get a hefty portion of it at the end of the day um charlie the reason i called in is you know last week was tough (laughs) if you're a basketball fan for this team uh, it's unfortunate to lose you know it's funny charlie my friend is from Nashville, went to the game on Wednesday, saw the buzzer beater, whatever, decided to go up Saturday, take his wife and their kids to the game, saw that. I felt so bad for the guy at that point. He said, I'm not going to another single game. I said, I don't know, maybe just you. He's like, oh, it's me. I, I can't do this. I felt so bad for the guy. Like, But the reason I called in is I'll let you guys kind of get my rant out there, but it feels like when this team does lose a game, this team goes immediately. The blame should go as it rightfully is, should be done. Is goes to Coach Parks. Like that needs to be done. At the end of the day, he's the head coach. He takes full responsibility. But Charlie, you know where I'm going with this. It feels like when when we do lose these games, instead of critiquing what we should be here, critiquing, which is you know whether it's his in-game coaching, whether it's his roster management, whether it's his lack of postseason success. We get off on this emotional tangent where we say, oh, he's not one of us. He's not embraced the fans. He's not embraced anymore. He doesn't show emotion on the sidelines. And 
personally, I think that couldn't be anything further from the truth. Uh, and at the end of the day, Coach Barnes has many flaws. He is not a perfect coach. He is, you know, he is the best coach currently for the job at Tennessee. And maybe one day we, we may need to have that conversation. But this idea that, you know, Coach Barnes should, you know, those that hope that he retires or hopes that maybe we'll go look for a different coach, Next season, I think, is a little premature and pretty pretty uh, unfair, in my opinion. But uh, I'll let you guys kind of dive into that. And the last thing I'll say is, do you all remember in college where you did absolutely nothing on a paper or a project, and you're with a group, and you got you know a portion of the credit, and you got pretty much a good grade? Well, that's what Melvin Gordon did with the Kansas City Chiefs when he posted his picture of him with the Super Bowl. Thanks, guys, and go balls. Thank you, Matthew. Go Vols. Um, working backwards. Melvin Gordon. Did he win the Super Bowl last he night? He did. I didn't even know Melvin Gordon I didn't even won the know Super that Bowl was a thing. Night. I That's did not awesome. even Melvin know that. Melvin Gordon. Oh, and Shout he, out Melvin he Gordon. He was celebrating, too, big time. Shout That's out Melvin right. Gordon. He was posting up on, uh, on the IG, cigar in the mouth, trophy in the hand. Hey. He won a Super Bowl. I Cut would, by the Broncos. I'd be pretty happy, ready too. Ready to fight Russell Wilson on the sideline. Ready now to, to celebrate a Super Bowl. That's a good a good resolution. Wow. That's that great. Is, <laughs> that is like one of my favorite parts about the Super Bowl was seeing like the random the random three to five NFL veterans that were added to that roster in the last couple months of the season. It's just depth pieces. He's not even in uniform shaking. celebrating in these videos. He's just in street clothes. It's awesome. Who else won a Super Bowl last night that we Juju. Juju Smith Schuster. Is now a Super Bowl champion. Shout out. Shane Buscelli is now a Super Bowl champion. So is Ronald Jones. Shout out Trey Smith. I mean, he's definitely not irrelevant. You know, if you go on your computer at Google right now and Google Chiefs, you get fireworks. They, like, shoot fireworks at you. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's cooler than winning the Super Bowl, maybe. (laughs) Probably. I would say probably cooler than winning the Super Bowl. Uh, who else won a Super Harrison Bowl? Harrison Bucker last night? is a Super Bowl champion. Two time. Carlos Dunlap. Clyde Edwards Super Bowl champion now. Played a pretty decent role in that too. Chad Henney, he won again. And, he and he's retired, yeah. Yeah, you retired last Ronald night. Jones. Yeah, Ronald Jones. After winning one with the the Bucks against the Chiefs. Ugo Amadi. Really? A Super Bowl champion. Nashville guy. Okay. Played against him in high school. Now he's now he is a Super Bowl champion. Okay. What a guy. Shout out James Winchester, long snapper, Oklahoma, Super Bowl champion. Probably two-time Super Bowl champion. Marquez Valdez-Scantling got one. Did he get a catch last night? I don't nope. think so. But wow. he, he got won. a ring. He won the Super Bowl. Great pick, Sam. What? Great pick on your uh, MVS. Yeah, I mean, the dude barely even got a target. Did he get a – I don't even know if he got a target. I don't know if he played in the game. He was around. I always saw him in the background of like all those Juju and Travis Kelsey catches, just yeah. guarded up. The the Chiefs are always like it's you. He throw got to, one target. You throw to Travis Kelsey, and then the like the one random receiver that gets like folded into the mix, kind of that you like don't normally see. Last week or like AFC Championship, it was Valdez Scantling. I guess yesterday it was Juju a little bit more. Well, uh. The Jets Shout out hired. Melvin Gordon. Uh, other questions you had, the Rick Barnes criticism. I mean, if you want a new coach, 
next year, that's I'm sorry, you're not going to get it. <laughs> that's not happening. You know, Rick Barnes will coach at Tennessee until he retires. He'll probably retire in the next like five years or so, but that's where he's going to be. Not going to be anywhere else. No one else is going to be here either, uh, and rightfully so. And I also I, I do agree with the sentiment that. Whenever Tennessee's losing, like people tack on extra things to be upset with Barnes about. I saw the same messages. I heard the same calls this morning on three and out. Like people talking about Rick Barnes just isn't like Tony V or Josh Heupel. You know, he doesn't try to be a part of the fans. He doesn't thank the fans. You know, he doesn't, he's not one of us like some of the others. That's garbage. That's just a, a blasphemy, really, all the way around. Rick Barnes, uh, Great man, great in the community, great with fans, goes out of his way to, I think, thank fans pretty constantly, do things for fans, uh, probably does more for fans than the fan base deserves, honestly. So, that's blasphemy. Sure, maybe he's not Tony Vitello, like, those guys just have different personalities, you know, coaches express themselves in different ways, like, yeah, Rick Barnes isn't going to go wear a cut-off baseball jersey and a headband in the front row of Lindsey Nelson in a couple months. <laughs> would be cool, though. Is he going to bring a couple basketball recruits and talk about how proud he is? Yeah. Is he going to, you know, sit on the set of ESPN before a big game and, like, talk about, like, hey, this baseball team, proud of him. Yeah, it's another thing to have with this university. And, like, yeah, is he going to support the football team? Yeah. Is he going to support Tennessee? Yes. He is a great ambassador for Tennessee. Uh, yeah. So if you have any other opinion on that, uh, with all due respect – it's not even really a debate. You're just wrong. You're just being emotional. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with that sentiment as well, Matthew. Yeah, um, it's it's clearly frustrating. And, like, you experience back-to-back painful losses like this. You want something to change. Uh, and, yeah, there are a lot of good coaches out there in the college basketball realm, but you fire, like, if you get rid of a coach who has had the success that Coach Barnes has had, maybe maybe not as much in the postseason. You haven't won a championship or anything, but you just won an SEC tournament last year. You, you know, you're going to win 20 games, easily make the tournament this year. You're ranked top five for a majority of the year as well. I know you're not now, but what young and upcoming coaches want to join those expectations? Like well, that's the, just... the reason I think that there has been frustrations, like you have to consider why, is, why have the last couple of weeks been frustrating? Well, partially because you've lost three out of the last four, yeah, but I think also partially because Rick Barnes has created such high expectations for himself that, you know, he's it's it's almost it's impossible to consistently meet those expectations. But you also got to remember those expectations are as high as they are because of what Rick Barnes has accomplished and how good of a coach he has been. I mean, there are actual concerns, right? Uh, you know, you, you still got to figure some things out offensively, and I think – you want to talk about like more overarching concerns you know what there is part of me that's worried a little bit about the recruiting continuing to stay at a high as high of a level when julian phillips has come here and his stock has dropped and kennedy chandler came and his stock dropped and josiah came and his nba stock dropped and keon and you know Jaden springer came and their stock dropped like there is something to that you know maybe you start to lose some big time recruits but but uh, it's all it's all net positives, and it's all net positive by a pretty substantial margin when it comes to Rick Barnes. And even just when you get into want to get into like blame for the loss, loss is, is it all Rick Barnes? Even no, I mean, I, I would even say on Saturday, like he made some 
pretty smart lineup adjustments and coached around having two of his you know five best players out and still put this team in a position to come back and win in the second half like I I, I think there's some player execution issues more so than some coaching issues and a couple of the losses as well um, it's just frustrating it's just frustrating when well <laughs> when you lose back-to-back games and a way that is so improbable it usually doesn't happen to a, a program more often than once a decade and it happens to you twice a week and stings i get it and when you know you have losses that hurt as bad as they do you want to scramble to these big declarative emotional responses but here we are it just kind of is what it is very unfortunate two games though very unfortunate oh my gosh <laughs> Uh, unfortunate is is like an understatement. I've never too. seen that back to back games. Someone took their hand, reached through your chest, <laughs> through your chest. You know, with the, enough force to go through your chest, pierced your skin, went through all the nerves, everything, grabbed your heart, and ripped it straight out of your body and killed you. That's what it felt like. I've never seen back to back buzzer beaters like that. Never seen that. The same exact situation. Same exact situation. Being up by two, shooting free throws with like three and a half, four and a half seconds And you miss, yeah. And yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think Coach Barnes said it best. Like that one was more of like, that was kind of like a prayer. We're just like heaving it up. It wasn't really like a defensive breakdown shot. So a Uh, bit of a difference, but. I think I I probably would have had someone like contesting the inbound a little bit more. I think I maybe would have like had Jemai Meshack put a little bit more pressure or just try to change the direction of the ball handler one more time there. But at the same time, like I, I saw some complaints about like that was poor defense. He took a pretty good shot for like the situation. I think, yeah, I mean, I think. I thought he shot he, way too early in the shot class. I think he intentionally <laughs> shot a little did, bit early yeah. just because he realized he had a brief amount of separation. Yeah, I think he didn't um, want it to be as contested. Like I think at the end of the day, though, like the way, especially the way that game had been officiated and how tightly it had been officiated, do you really want to risk picking up a foul and, and giving Missouri a chance to tie the game at the free throw line because you were tightly contesting, you know, a, a buzzer beater? Like it's it, it's a tough situation. You I mean, know, that, that was that, such a things too. Such a bad shot. Like I'm I'm looking at it back. Like it wasn't a good shot. No, I mean it was off balance running towards the goal from like seven feet beyond the three point line. Uh, if uh, you could ask a coach, do you would you sign up to just instead of playing your games this season, every game ends with a team attempting that shot, and if they win, you know if they hit it, they beat you. If they don't, you win. Like, every coach would sign up for, yeah, 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 take that. Like, yeah, we'll give up that shot to potentially lose a game every single day. Unfortunately, it just went in. But I was one of those where you're like, why did that, like, surely, like, that didn't count. Like, you're like, surely not. Like, right. There's got to be something. It, it just <laughs> Wait. hurts so bad. As bad as it's been, though, you know, as bad as it feels to lose three out of four games right after you reach number two in the country, I, I do think, it's important to consider Missouri just shot unbelievable. Unreal. Like, Missouri just shot one of the most unbelievable three-point percentages, 14 of 26. That's 53.8%. That's you know, crazy. Just before that, 
Vanderbilt shot 40%. And a 27% three-point shooter went 3 of 4, including the game winner. You know, so as bad as, as, as the last four games have been, and yes, there are some very clear issues, it's also a situation where most teams are going to lose when the opposition shoots that well from three. Like, it, it just does get that much tougher as well. Uh, a lot of factors that go into it. But we'll catch a break here. We'll, we'll stay on Tennessee, Missouri, and on Tennessee basketball as we get into this next segment. Stay with us here on The Blitz. Well, there's nothing I can do. I've been looking for a girl like you. So, uh, it's kind of hard to try to find the good in, in what feels so bad, but, I mean, Missouri doesn't hit a crazy last-second shot, and I think you're talking, you're having a much different conversation on Saturday, uh, not Saturday morning, on Monday morning, today. You know, I think you're having the conversation of, like, this team got socked in the mouth and figured out a way to come down back down 17 and I think figured out some new things about themselves in the process in route to a comeback that could potentially you know save the season a little bit obviously buzzer beater changes all of that and now there's the equal concern of does back-to-back improbable deflating losses kind of suck the life out of your season a little bit you know how do you kind of respond emotionally from that I think that's still an issue but you know those same things that were present when you started to to come back in the second half, when you started to make a little bit of that turnaround, you know I think something you can build off of and something that can like propel this team forward if they can overcome the emotional damage essentially of <laughs> of losing <laughs> those two games the way you did. And I think you know you start to think about what those positives are. Well, the first main positive that you can take away from that game. And moving forward, Tyreek Key seems to have found something. And it seems somewhat sustainable as well. Um, you know, I think he's he's looked for a shot a little bit more aggressively. I think that he's kind of added that mid-range element in his game. You know, some of those short corner jumpers, those step-in from the corner jumpers. Um, man, he was electric, you know. A guy that I think a lot of people were excited about coming out of Indiana State, a guy that scored a lot of points for Indiana State, a guy that in your first exhibition against Gonzaga scored in the 20s and was averaging 11 points a game through November and then completely disappeared, you know, Saturday, 23 points. Uh, shot the ball with just oozing confidence, you know, in, in his game. Shot the ball with all kinds of confidence. Played 31 minutes, knocked down five threes. You know, the game before against Vanderbilt, got 27 minutes, scored 14 points, shot 50% from the floor, 50% from three. If he can, if he really has turned that corner, like if he really has gotten to a point where he can score again and and he can be another outlet offensively to pair with Santi and to pair with Sakai, you know, that, that can work wonders for Tennessee small ball lineup that you went to played with some pace you know played a little bit fast shot the ball confidently it felt a little bit more free-flowing 
still were able to get some boards. Felt pretty good about that, too. Like, that's something else you can throw out there. And there's plenty more positives from this game. Uh, Jemai Meshack got to play a good bit. Wasn't, still wasn't, you know, electric offensive player by any means, but really gave Kobe Brown some issues, and at least he didn't really turn it over. You know, I, I think you're, there's still promise with him being able to build on it. And again, Toby Awaka continuing to play more, continuing to play well. As a rebounder, he's incredible, but his offensive game is is certainly growing. You know, five points on, on two or three shooting. Or excuse me, five points on one of six. I, or one of six from the free throw line is, is not what you want, but two or three shooting, pretty solid. Four or nine against Vanderbilt, gave you eight points. Like, I think, again, that small ball lineup, the emergence of, of Tyreek Key and, and Toby Awaka continuing to come along, like, those could still be net positives from, from this game. Yeah, it's always good to see, you know, guys who maybe weren't your studs at the beginning of the year start to become that, or, or in a situation like Tyreek Key where you're going through a scoring slump, start to feel more confident with that shot. I think if he stays at that confidence level, like, that's – that's huge for the offensive game going forward. I think you know you got him shooting the way he does, and you get you know the other guys shooting the way they you know you normally see out of like Asante or um, you normally see what stuff that Olivier's done inside. I think that that's huge to get him back in the mix, just to be confident again and to have that threat that he provided and that we saw some uh, earlier the year, as you mentioned. And then yeah, I think Tobe, we're really seeing him grow up a ton. I I think like. We're seeing just those little small little pieces right now, but then like you start to like you know think, hey, in a year or in two years, this guy's gonna be he he can be a legit SEC post player. Like he can he'll be able to out physical anyone inside, and I think he's just gonna keep getting stronger. And I think slowly and surely he's getting more and more minutes this year, and, and has become a real impact in these games. And it's it's fun to see, and and I feel like that's what a lot of what Coach Barnes does a really good job of. Him and his staff is like that development and you can kind of see guys that you wouldn't expect to you know potentially be SEC stars like a Zakai you wouldn't expect him to you know ever even get to the point where he is now this soon and and Tobey's different from Zakai but you can you could see those developments a lot quicker than you might would have ever thought with some of those guys Tobey's kind of given me uh um Oscar Shebway vibes a little bit I was blanking on his name a little bit. Kind of like Grant Williams a little bit to me in a sense that, like, Grant's freshman year, he didn't get a lot of minutes early. But then you, you started to see kind of some of the flashes he had late in that year. I just don't really see them, like, being all that comparable from a player perspective because Toby's just such a good rebounder. And I, I don't know, Grant rebounded well at times. I feel like there was also times that Rick Barnes really kind of had to harp on his rebounding and – I mean, that it's gone down, you know, some now that Toby's playing more. It's leveled out a little bit. But at one point, you were you were collecting over 50% of your missed shots when Toby Awaka was on the floor. Like, he is I, – I get the I get that Oscar comparison a little bit almost, just in the sense that, like, a little undersized for big these days, but just ferocious and in his rebounding, smart in his rebounding. Like, I think he just has a really good – Sometimes you just see rebounders that just have a feel. 
mm-hmm. of like I know where to get. I know how to get this rebound. Just seeing the ball come off hands, like hey, this one's gonna be short. This one's gonna miss right. This one's gonna hit left. Like I think some of those guys just have a, a certain feel. I think Toby might be one of those guys. Um, again, you want to see the offensive game continue to progress, but like it has been so far. You know, we we've seen progression in his offensive ability. I, I think you've even seen flashes of him you know, really kind of creating his own shot at times and, and looking good doing that. Um, so, again, I'm excited about I'm, I'm excited about Iwaka. Uh, how would you assess Zakai's game? Another double-double, 11 and 10, some foul trouble too. Obviously fouled out. Um, four of 10, you know, one of six from three. I, I think – Maybe he's got to quit taking as many threes. Yeah, he's. I don't. Yeah, he's kind of getting into chucker territory a little bit. Yeah, I think it's like not the amount he's taking. I think yeah, it's maybe the selection of the shots. Maybe like, like sometimes he'll just randomly step into a three, or he'll he'll you know <laughs> dribble out the last ten seconds of the shot clock to settle for a three. And I get sometimes just as the point guard, the more like if you're going to get in late into possession and have to put a, a shot up at you know right before the. The, the shot clock buzzer like sounds, a lot of times the point guard is the guy that has the ball in his hands in that situation and has to chuck out some shots. But feels like he is stepping into some threes a little bit too much. Um, also, just some dumb fouls. Like the, the foul that he fouled out with, oh. incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Just that's one of those situations. Rick Barnes got on his, got yeah. on his rear end. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, as he should have. You don't need to foul 90 feet away from the basket when you have four fouls, you know, trying to create a steal up six in the final, you know, four and a half minutes. You don't need to do that. Just be there at half court and pick up and, and get ready to play defense. Like, I think that there's still some times where you got to calm him down a little bit and get him to have more of a perspective of the moment that you're in within the game. But it's also hard because you don't want to really put a leash on him too much. Like, you want him to be free and allow him to be Zakai Ziegler. Yeah. Because, I mean – it, it it is maybe sometimes the offense, but the way he's been able to pass the ball and and distribute over the last month and a half, and and yeah, that defense, the way he's able to get his hands in there, the way he's able to create turnovers, I think those are the things that right now make Zakai stand above. Uh, when you compare him with other SEC point guards, I think the thing that he still needs to get better at compared to other SEC point guards is that yeah, that just the shots selection maybe just pure scoring ability night in a night out basis you can obviously rely on him on some games but then there there are games where you know the offense isn't isn't quite as shining as much as those other attributes and and, and again like if he if he gets that then he, he does become that complete player like then he is that all sec first teamer i don't know i don't know if he's in there now anymore he might have been two weeks ago i don't know if he's in there now but we're, I think we're slowly seeing some more of the pieces coming together from him being a complete player. But, yeah, I think there's – you're still an underclassman, right? You're still a sophomore. You're going to make bad mistakes like you did with that foul. You're going to have those moments. Um, so I think it's just, you know, even in mid-February, you're still learning and growing. But, unfortunately, you, you wouldn't like to learn as much at this point. Final question here before we kind of move off of this and move off of this segment. Assessment – of B.J. Edwards just randomly getting to play 
with Zakai getting getting into some foul trouble, we just decided, okay, you know what? Now's the time for BJ Edwards. In the middle of this weird game, we're gonna give you six minutes, and here you go. Yeah, uh, BJ's kind of been that anomaly all year, like kind of beginning of the season. So, you know where? Why are we not? Why did we not see him more? Like, like game one and game two and blowouts, you, you weren't even seeing him until like the last two minutes. Like he was in there with, you know. The walk-ons like that that's kind of like the the question was like where where was he early in the season and I get that like if he wasn't playing in in those you know a lot of those McNeese State games early if he wasn't getting meaningful minutes there yeah I don't think he probably should be getting meaningful minutes in in the middle of SEC season in the middle of February so I, I'm I'm kind of with you in the sense that that is a confusing move but you know maybe you just thought there was no other way you just needed to jolt some energy into it and just see what he had but it doesn't feel like a time to really let's I mean, see what I, you got i don't know i kind of like looking for a spark and like i understand that you you know you needed another ball handler in there with zakai on the bench and the way it was going with vescovy and with with tyreek key like you wanted them off the ball a little bit you wanted another ball handler and i, I you know you gave bj a try but what my, I guess my question is like, what could tr- possibly transpire in a season for BJ Edwards not to even be in a position that he can play mop up duty, you know that that he can come in off the bench in a forty point game, in a thirty point game, and some of those those early blowouts that we had, even some of those January blowouts that we had, like could he not have played more than the final minute and a half? Like could he have played the final five minutes, the final seven minutes? He really, if he wasn't ready to get in in those situations, then how do we fast forward a month later and, and he's ready to play in the middle of a, a big time SEC game when you're trailing like that? That to me is weird. And I think you go back and, and you really like, man, I wish that I wish that he would gotten more playing time. So maybe he was more prepared. But defense, all right, could probably clean some things up. Did score four points. I, I thought that. He looked like a guy that probably could have been playing a little bit more, honestly. Um, I, don't, I don't really know what you do from with him from here. Like, where, where do you go from here now that you didn't play for essentially a month and a half and then you randomly played six minutes in the middle of a game and, and didn't play terrible? Like, I, I don't really know what that means for him. I, if I had to guess, I'd say he probably goes back to just not playing at all. But that was weird. Weird to see. <laughs> just so strange. When everyone was just like, hold up, was that? Is that BJ Edwards, BJ Edwards in the game? just check in. It's like, wait a second. Did I hear that <laughs> right? Am I looking at the right thing? But uh, we'll play Good, Bad, or the Ugly on the other side. Stay with us here on the Blitz. All right. Time to play the Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Sam, over to you first. What is the, uh, the good from the weekend? My good from the weekend, I'm going to go... With the Chiefs' offense in the second half, four drives, touchdown, 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 game-winning field goal. Mahomes went 13 of 14 through two passing touchdowns, zero total penalties, allowed zero sacks, zero negative runs. Uh, They were playing against one of the best fronts in football, and the Chiefs just looked like the better team last night, controlled the line of scrimmage on both ends. Uh, yeah, just a, just a dominant performance there in that second half to get them back in the game there. Had some Mahomes magic and made that Eagles D 
look not as good as they they've been looking all year. Hell of a performance. Mm. Uh, my good is the uh, broadcasting duo of Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. How about that? They called their first Super Bowl um, 18 years ago at 30. Kevin Burkhart apparently made $18,000 a year calling high school football games and working at a car dealership. That was at age 30, you said? Age 30. And now here he is 18 years later calling a Super Bowl. That's inspiring. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. And uh, I like Greg Olson's analysis as well. I think we've talked about that. I think Greg does a good job. Yeah, I, I think Greg was bad in the NFC Championship game. Excellent in every other game he's called this year all season long and was excellent in the Super Bowl. Excellent in the Super Bowl. Mm. Yes, I thought they did a great job. Shout out for them. Their first Super Bowl. They I were bet, great. bet Troy Aikman and Joe Buck were sad that they couldn't do the they couldn't do the Super Bowl. I thought, I mean, like A-plus for, for those two. Oh, yeah. And Fox has a pretty big issue on their hands. Tom Brady's coming. What are they going to do with Greg Olson? I think I don't think you can make Tom Brady the A guy. I just be. I think Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson are like a a, a strong duo too. Like, a, like yeah. they want to stick together. Like I, I don't think you can just be like, hey, Kevin, here's Tom now, and he'd be like, all right. I mean, I think I yeah. Mean, we're calling high school. But Tom's getting paid ago, so much money, he's going to be, be the number like, one. Yeah, okay, fine. But <sighs> I don't know. I mean, it, you know, Greg Olson. I guess can he just get out of it? Like, how how long is he tied to Fox? I, I imagine. What if they both just move somewhere else? If he just moves, yeah, elsewhere. I don't know. That's, interesting. That's, that to me is one of the more interesting like storylines to follow in the business of, of like sports that's not actual football itself. Put Brady just, and Olsen on the same broadcast and just <laughs> make it a, a football a analysis just like mega. No play by play broadcast. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. No. It's just like a film breakdown. <laughs> for or like three let's hours. just put Tom Brady on the Booger Mobile. Mm. Yes. Fly him around up there. Or, or you know how they have those like those cameras on the wires that are right behind the the, the line Brady of scrimmage. Put Brady on a wire, just like hovering above the field the whole time. He's just getting really, <laughs> he's hard really getting that all twenty-two of you. Yeah, that would be ideal. He's calling out the defenses probably because he's still like not retired yet. They were excellent. Uh, they really were. We're good. Speaking of broadcasting crews, just real quick, the broadcasting crew for the Tennessee Missouri game was brutal. By the way, who were they? I, I didn't really. Um, so I saw your your tweet about that, and I I looked it up. Uh, Who was the color analyst? He was a longtime assistant for South Carolina and Frank Martin. Like he first year like doing this. Like he and then lo- head coach at Miami for a time. He been coach for a long time. I went. So I went from like despising him the first half to like slowly coming around to media to a guy that just needs to polish up his actual broadcasting it probably is like his first half. year getting into broadcasting you know yeah. he, he was he'd been at south carolina for so long as so an i assistant. thought he had a lot of like informative things to say when it yeah. came to the actual x's and o's of basketball but everything else he had to say was pretty brutal mm. and i thought like See, i didn't i didn't get to hear much of the game broadcasting was pretty brutal too i, I didn't get to hear much of the game were like how is it who is this guy well that's what you know the analysts are just usually like former coaches yeah. former players and Sometimes they're in their first great. year. They gotta polish up a little bit. I didn't listen to it, so I didn't hear them. But yeah, I I saw you tweet about that. I was like, oh, wonder who it is. It was it was tough. Like I don't know. It was it was tough. Uh, my good from the weekend. Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Northwestern basketball didn't really expect to get to shout them out much this year, uh, but Boo Booey, 
I feel like he's been in college for 37 years. <laughs> I feel like I've been watching Boo Not Boo-Boo-y. too familiar with his game. I feel like I've been watching Boo Booey since I was in middle school. You're not familiar with, with Boo Booey? Not as much. Oh, he's He's been at Northwestern forever, and every year it seems like he's just carrying that team. This year, he's got some decent help around him. And Northwestern, 18-7 and seven now. 18-7, and seven, <laughs> upsetting Purdue at home yesterday, right before the Super Bowl. I think everyone kind of missed it just because it was Super Bowl Sunday. It got overlooked nationally. Yeah. But they they were fantastic yesterday. Second half comeback to pull off that upset. Uh, they held Foster Lawyer to two points. You know, they held David Jenkins to zero points. Where was Zach Eady at? Zach Eady had his 24 points and his eight <laughs> rebounds. Still only eight rebounds. I think maybe teams have figured out some sort of recipe for Purdue. And I think it's you don't double Edie. Oh. I, I think you just accept that Zach Edie is going to pound it's you into oblivion. Dominant. And you just say, you know what? 35, 40 from Zach Edie can't beat us alone. Like you have mm-hmm. to get your foster lawyer or your uh pardon me, your Braden Smith going or your you know, David Jenkins going. Like those guys when they're hitting shots, that's when Purdue's unbelievable. Because Zach Eady's always getting his, but when you know Foster Lawyer gives you 15, and when you get 15 from Jenkins and like 10 from Smith, or you know those guys, just the three of them, if at least two of them have a big game, like Purdue's gonna win. Mm-hmm. But if you try to take away everything else and force Zach Eady to be the one that beats you, maybe that's when you can kind of catch Purdue. Uh, you know who the number one team's though. gonna be? It's gonna be Alabama. It's gonna be Alabama. Gonna come to your place on Wednesday night, and you're gonna beat them promise you that there we but, go uh, yeah Zach Eady because he also is just such a good passer out of the post but you look at and you know it's Saturday Foster Lawyer 2 and Jenkins 0 and Smith 10 like that's maybe a way to beat Purdue again it's it's hard to beat a team like Purdue because they're as good as they are they're 23 and 3 for a reason but shout out Northwestern and pretty classy court storming too. It felt very northwesterny. <laughs> Good for them. Sam, you're bad. Yeah, my bad. Uh, Super Bowl commercials. I did Gross. not. Terrible. I did not enjoy the Super Bowl commercials this year. Um, <laughs> I kept like. It kept going to commercial, and I kept thinking, like, all right, maybe I'll get a good one this commercial break. And I just never really got one. There were only like three or four that I enjoyed, and I don't really remember them this morning. So I didn't enjoy that many. So, yeah, yeah, bad. It feels like every year they've gotten a little bit worse. A little bit worse, and even like, but even last year, there's always like three to five that feel redeemable. Mm-hmm. It feels like they really fell off a cliff this year. I, there was not a single notable commercial. Maybe one. I was waiting for Burger King to roll out like a hell of an ad too. Why did they not have Nothing. a new song for the Super Bowl? I think they, I think they got complacent. I think they're like we've they're, already they, taken was, the country by storm with whopper, whopper, whopper. An ad within themselves. They knew everybody was expecting it. Everybody was talking about them, and they didn't do it. And I really they already advertised in that way. Did not yeah. like joint beer commercial. Well, yeah, they're owned by the same people. Don't care. I need my <laughs> beers to be rivals. Well, they're not though. I need them to be. I need them they're making to publicly money. be rivals. They're making money either way. And I think that if you make them rivals, it actually drives profit even more. Like, if you give someone a side, then people are more inclined to go buy one of those beers because they want to take a side. I thought all the commercials were bad. I don't care. (laughs) Uh, 
Also, the Bud, Bud Light commercial went on for way too long, where they were just dancing in the living room. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, this is nice. And then they were still dancing like <laughs> 40 seconds later. And I was like, this is, I don't want to see this now. Tough. Bad? My bad. Uh, not just because I was in the softball world this week, but something crazy happened in the softball world. Did you see it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this was we're funny enough. The same thing. We're thinking of an upset that happened. We're not. No. We're not thinking of the same no. thing. No. I mean, there Continue. were a lot of upsets. Um, this happened actually on the field that I was at yesterday right after tennessee lady vols beat number eight northwestern um shout out uh kentucky played texas in the top 20 game number 17 kentucky number six texas tied up four to four um the top of the eighth kentucky takes a seven to four lead they uh go to the bottom of the eighth with one out to go in the game texas batter at the at the plate it has an 0-2 count so they're down to the last strike they hit 3.30 p.m. Eastern, which it was a Sunday, travel day. They had a drop-dead game-over time limit in case like it went long because both teams needed to get out of there. It hit 3.30 with one strike left, and they called the game. And When they hit that time, they revert back to the most recent completed inning, which was the seventh, so the game ended as a tie, 4-4. Four to four. Wow. Instead of it, even though Kentucky had just taken a seven to four lead in the top of that inning, and they were one strike to go. That's, that's can't ugly. script that up any I think any, that's ugly, any better. I would than say that. yeah, th- bump that down a slot. Well, I, yeah, I <laughs> I know what your ugly is going to be. That's even uglier in my eyes. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Very. How how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, just the, like I guess like, the rules of, of like a travel day. They're just like in a tournament. They're like, with this game's got to be done by this point. A common sense clause. Yeah, I feel like if you get to that time and you're like, oh, we're really close to being done anyways. Just finish it out. Finish it out. My bad from the weekend. Officiating. Hate to be that guy. <laughs> but yeah, wait, wait. I'm gonna be that guy again. Officiating between. The Duke Virginia ending, with oh yeah, Duke just basically kind of getting screwed out of a, a foul. Yeah, that was crazy. They ruled that it happened after the clock hit zero. Which it zero. didn't. It just didn't happen. Like it <laughs> definitely happened crazy. with time on the clock. I like seeing Duke lose, so I didn't really get too upset about it. But you know, you follow that up then the next day, and the Super Bowl also is going to always kind of have a little. I don't know if I wouldn't say asterisk, but like you're always going to remember that Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, what a great game. And you're also going to think, oh, yeah, what about that holding call, too? So I'll go with officiating. And then uh, ugly for everyone. We we on the same page? Yeah, on the same page. Yeah. Count no. of three. Oh, Sam has a different one. You have a different one? Yeah. New Mexico State shutting down their basketball oh. program. Yeah, we oh, could yeah. spend two hours on that. <laughs> yeah. The fact that. But that's my own. The fact that like <laughs> your players getting involved in a shooting, self defense, but. Getting involved in a shooting and there's a cover up and like the police had to chase you down on the highway and you had assistant coaches getting involved and like hiding a gun and that's not enough to su- shut your season down but then something else happens and it is that something else. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised to like good. figure out it was something completely different than that. Probably a whole not good other at a thing. Hazing incident of some kind. Um, but yeah, my other ugly was what I'm assuming we're all going to say. The playing surface. playing surface. Come on, NFL. Sodfather, let us down. Come on, NFL. Wasn't good. Really gonna you're really gonna do that to us? It's the Super Bowl and we, we can't get guys 
able to even like kind of keep their footing. Really, couldn't get a better field than that. But uh, all right, good, good, bad, and the ugly. Everyone got a best bet, real quick. Oh yeah, yeah we're already on best bet. Huh? Yeah. What's going on in the NBA world? My best bet is the Chiefs. Not the Chiefs, the Jets to have a bad offense with okay, Nathaniel like Hackett and Todd Downing coming together to, to create that thing. Bet. I think that's a good futures bet. Yeah, good future. Just can I bet that as a future? Just Jets to have a bad offense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm gonna go over one fifty six and a half in Miami and North Carolina tonight. I think we're gonna see some offense in the Dean Dome tonight. Little Dean Dome offense. What do you Five got, and a half Andy? point favorites in that game. North Carolina is. Wow. Charlotte hosts Atlanta. Charlotte's lost seven in a row. They're really bad. They <laughs> won 15 it's games this well. year. But the over under is 240. So they expect there to be a lot of points. So you, you know what the they under? say. No. Taking the over. I'm taking the over? Yeah. Can't believe you. It's a lot of points. My best bet today, you mentioned this game already. I like Miami plus four and a half. I'm a, mm. I'm a Monday night Miami kind of guy these days. Monday night, you bet the Canes. I think they are going to be the team to to make the deepest run out of the ACC, too. Really five and a like half points seems like a time. lot in that what? game. Five and a half seems like a lot in yeah. that game. Yeah, I mean, UNC very volatile, right? They just yeah, had their biggest streaky. win of the year beating Clemson the way they did or one of their biggest wins of the year. And, you know, right before that, they got beat by Wake Forest on Tuesday night and looked pretty ugly doing it, so – Hopefully it's bad UNC tonight, but I got Miami as an underdog. That's my best bet. And that'll do it for today's show. For Sam Beard, for Andy Brock, I'm Charlie Collier. Hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. You can do it. Power through. I know Monday after the Super Bowl is tough. You guys got this. John Reed, Talk Sports, they're up next.